Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast Awards Edition. I'm Mary Elizabeth, Communications Director at Georgia Organics, and we're bringing you this special episode to celebrate the Georgia Organics Annual Awards, an ongoing virtual celebration of some truly incredible farmers, all leading up to an online get-together with these farmers on Thursday, May 27th. To register and learn more about this event and to read more about our annual awards, visit georgiaorganics.org awards. We also have two exciting cookbook events coming up with Chef Asha Gomez and Chef Farmer Matthew Rayford in partnership with Acapella Books. Check out the events section on our Facebook page to learn more. We're thrilled to announce this year's winners on today's podcast. First, the Barbara Petit Pollinator Award is named in honor of Barbara Petit, a remarkable community food advocate who served as Georgia Organic's past president. This award acknowledges individuals with exceptional success in advancing Georgia Organic's mission of good food for all by spreading, or pollinating, the movement throughout community life. The winners of this year's Barbara Petit Pollinator Award are Brennan and Gwendolyn Washington of Phoenix Gardens, our first guests on today's show. The Washingtons are successful farmers and icons of sustainable agriculture leadership in Georgia and the Southeast. They offer an urban agriculture education-focused property that has indeed risen from the ashes and thrives in Lawrenceville. They have impacted countless farmers across the Southeast, and we're so excited to recognize their incredible work through this award. In 1997, the Land Steward Award was created by Georgia Organics to honor an individual or individuals who have contributed significantly to the organic agriculture movement in the state of Georgia. The Land Steward Award recognizes the farmer with significant commitments to the tenets of organic agriculture. The winner of this year's Land Steward Award are Chris and Jenny Jackson of Jenny Jack Farm. Chris and Jenny embody the meaning of this award through their dedication to sustainable scaling, a cared-for team, community connection, and, of course, fostering a better environment through soil health and organic growing practices. Today in our first segment, Brennan and Gwendolyn talk with friend and fellow agriculture leader James Ford of Square O Consulting. They discuss the history and mission of Phoenix Gardens and why mentorship and resource sharing is so critical to the success of future generations of farmers in Georgia and beyond. They have had a profound impact on sustainable agriculture in our state and countless individuals have benefited from their passion and wealth of knowledge. Enjoy their conversation. Good morning, Gwendolyn and uh, Brian. How y'all doing this morning? Hey, James. Good morning. How are you today? Doing fine. Doing fine. It's a growing day today. We have sunshine after this rain, so it's a growing day. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yeah, so, and it's cool so we can go get out there and get some work done, not put the plants under any stress. So. Right, right. Uh, Brennan, if you don't mind, could you move your uh, camera just a little bit where I can see you? Uh, that, that's better. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, good morning. And again, um, congratulations for your award. Uh, it's, called, it's called the Barbara Petit uh, Pollinator Award. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's French word. I know, know I'm not hitting it just right, but uh, <laughs> uh, the Pollinator Award. And congratulations to you, you wonderful people. And Thank one you. of the things that... Uh, 
I know both of you from the East Coast and uh, Brandon, you from the Metropolitan and uh, Metropolitan New York. And what, uh, tell me how, how you got into farming from New York to Georgia? Uh, well, I, uh, I worked in IT and it was a really stressful position. And so um, I used to do a lot of gardening and my family's really involved in community gardens and in, in back in the sixties and seventies in New York. And then once Gwen and I got married, that was our way of getting, um, getting uh, relieving stress. So then once we decided we moved to Georgia, we came down and found our property and uh, we started growing more than what we could eat, more than what we could give away because we didn't really know anybody then. Gwinnett County wasn't the way it is. And so uh, Gwendolyn found the Lawrenceville Farmers Market and one thing led to another and all of a sudden we were farmers. It's just, it's just mushroom, I mean, what they call mushroom, like a mushroom, we built like yeah. a mushroom, Gwen, it's kind of just, just it's absolutely, absolutely. And that's Brennan's take on it. So uh, again, Brennan's IT, I was in customer service, we garden. However, uh, my personal feelings about us coming to Georgia, I think we were just heavenly sent here okay. to do what we do. Because as we have moved here, um, it's Brennan's calling to, for him to be in the agricultural arena. Mm -hmm. And mine to just be able to um, connect with people, grow food, see where the food's coming from, et cetera. And it, okay. it just goes on. So we were having sent to Georgia. Okay. How, how long y'all been farming down here? Uh, and, and we say farming. Uh, we know you're not the uh, commercial farming, but how long you been farming here in, in Georgia? Uh, Phoenix Gardens, we started farming here in 2005. 2005. Yes. And uh, you named it Phoenix Garden. Why Why Phoenix Garden? Uh, you know, you just could have said Brennan, Washington, and yeah. Brennan, Washington Farm. Why Phoenix Washington Garden? Washington Farm, right? Uh, yeah. we, we were looking for a name. And, uh, you know, by then, we still weren't didn't consider ourselves a full-fledged farm business. And one day, we got a letter from Gwinnett County. And basically, the gist of the letter is, we're building an extension in Sugarloaf Park where we're going to need your property. And so we were on pins and needles for about a year while they were making the final plans for the parkway. And then we got another letter that said that they weren't gonna need our property after all. Uh, they were just gonna need a small piece of right away. So Gwendolyn and I said, we both rose, we rose from the ashes like the Phoenix. And we said, hey, that would be a good name for my farm because it has a nice backstory. And then you forward to 2015, we were on a business trip uh, in Virginia and we had went to um, visit some family, Gwen's mom, and we hadn't been in the door. I think we literally just w walked into the door and Gwen had to go take a bathroom break and we got a call that our house was burning down. Oh, so that, that we really became the Phoenix. Phoenix, okay. You know, you're talking about those hurdles uh, and I know you got back on your feet and started, you know, producing. What are some of the other challenges that you had uh, that you had or having along the way uh, in the production and marketing of, of, of the agriculture products? Gwen? Um, the, the hurdles was just probably, um, you know, uh, gathering and finding markets to be able to, um, you know, sell the produce. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, so farmers markets came along and, um, so at first it was a hurdle because we, you know, 
back in, didn't have a market, no market, nowhere to go. Um, we did CSAs, et cetera. They were very successful. Um, and that's pretty much it. That was the biggest hurdle, I would say, um, starting with the CSA and mm-hmm. then the market started to kind of boom at that okay. point. Our largest um, uh, hurdles, James, has been just with life intruding on our farming life. So I had some serious back surgery about nine years ago that sort of took us down. And of course, we had the fire. So those have been our really a bigger hurdles just when life decides that, you know, um, we got something else for you to deal with right now than farming. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the pandemic? I know during the pandemic, I have a cousin who lives near you and I sent her over to get some Collard grains. Did the pandemic? Uh, how? What was the impact? That positive impact or negative impact for us uh, providing providing food to to uh, local markets? Uh, it, it's had positives and negatives, and and Gwen can tell you a little bit more about you know what her experience has been with the markets. Um, for me, and a lot of the work I do in working with other farmers, it's it's had some real negatives in that. You can't get out and have that face-to-face contact that farmers really like. Um, uh, and um, so so we really miss that. But Gwen, you've, you've seen an uptick in like some sales and, and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I mean, we have um, multiple markets here and um, they just went from in-person to, you know, shop online, pick up that drive-through. And that's been very, very successful, um, basically to my preference, because I know what I'm going to sell. Mm. I don't have to take it to market and then bring it back home, whatever I don't sell. So in that respect, it, it has been very successful. And they're still uh, doing online pickup at market. Um, we're supposed to start back in person. Some markets do in person, but I haven't had any uh, here in Gwinnett County where I, um, where I go face to face, you know, in person. So okay. Um, I love the drive-through, you know, pick up. I mean, I package everything and then we just, you know, go drop it off and that's pretty much it, customer drive-through. So it's no contact. And that's pretty, pretty yeah. nice right now. That may be your continuous market niche for that kind of thing. Hopefully that will be, you know, and Brennan, we've been knowing each other for a long time and you just like the energizing bunny to me because you're all over the place. And, uh, you know, I keep up with you. Uh, we talk a lot, but I keep up with you on, on social media. And from the standpoint of mentoring, I saw one time that you had some young people over helping you do some construction. And I know you were trying to help them get along. Is that a part of your operation also? Yes. Um, I- Ever since we started, we've um, we said that, you know, in, in addition to growing our crops and trying to make a living at that, we were going to serve as a educational base for farmers, you know, and, and more importantly, for a lot of black farmers. So the group you're talking about was Abby Henderson's Gangsters to Growers group, and she had gotten some funding just to help those young men get some um, experience in different types of agriculture and construction. So they came over and helped us do a uh, put up a high tunnel, but um, mentoring is really, really important to me. And um, and James, as a a longtime veteran of um, NRCS, you know, I feel that those of us who work with government agencies really have an obligation to make sure, especially Black people, know what opportunities are available to them, and do everything we can to make them help them take advantage of it. So, yeah. Uh, also, uh, your farm is, I guess, 
people will consider it an urban farm, uh, but uh, uh, we know that uh, urban farming from the standpoint of USDA uh, 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 and from the standpoint of the farm bill, they're looking more at urban farming and um, urban farmers normally don't get engaged in the political process. I'm talking about the FSA committee and those kinds of things. Uh, uh, give me a little feel of how you feel about uh, that connection with that urban rural, uh, say urban rural farming connection there. Well, I'm glad that um, uh, urban ag is finally being recognized in certain places as a legitimate production system because it wasn't always that way. Uh, I remember, I always tell people, and I'm serious, is that when I used to bring up urban ag in meetings, I almost practically got thrown out the room. So I'm really, really pleased with the way urban ag has grown, especially with a lot of the young farmers that's in the Atlanta. Atlanta has a very happening urban ag scene. Um, but there's been some disappointment too, James, and mainly it's because I really thought the rise of urban ag would help bring rural and urban farmers together, but that's not happening, at least not to the extent that I like. They still seem to be there in their own silos, and I'm really hoping that that's going to change soon. So, and that's one thing I'm going to be working on is how, how you know, urban ag Urban farmers know their markets and they, they have access to large markets. And I just think they're the natural gateway to help some of these uh, farmers say in Southwest Georgia, get some of their products in, in, into these larger markets at prices um, that pay them a fair wage, you know, a fair, a fair price for their, their products. You know, in, in our business, we, we talk about uh, trying to get technical assistance for farmers for USDA programs, but also technical assistance from extension service. And I know Gwendolyn is the, uh, I think one of them is the equal partner. She may be more than equal partner because I think she's <laughs> the one who get out there and do a lot of a lot of that kind of work. Gwendolyn, you have any uh, connection with uh, extension or people to help you or give you uh, advice or you give them advice? Um, I have the. Um, well, I belong to the Lawrenceville Gardens Club. Um, that's part of my floral gardening kind of decompress uh, outlet. Um, but for the most part, it's kind of trial and error. I mean, okay. last year I did a um, online course for uh, growing flowers for market. And this year was my first year. So I kind of, you know, planted stuff for the spring for like Mother's Day, hoping that, you know, the fl flowers would be um, about ready. Uh, well, some things that I didn't do, which is my trial and error, is use um, specific uh, support systems for the heavier flowers. So um, they really just didn't really make the grade. So some things okay. you have to prepare for success. <laughs> and yeah. that's not what I did this year with those particular uh, flowers. So um, it's trial and error. Next year or this year, I'll know what to do at this point when I put them in One's worked more with um, just individuals and doing that type of work. So for example, uh, Gwendolyn and, and Tixie Fowler who works with NRCS over here in Lawrenceville and Gail Zorn um, who used to work over at Gwinnett Technical College. Uh, they've actually put on a, a, a fairly extensive flower growing workshop for women over the last year. So Gwen may not think she's in touch with the extension but she probably does. <laughs> Yeah. 
You know, you, you mentioned the flowers. Uh, normally farming, we talk about food and fiber. You know, that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of terminology. And this flower thing, you know, uh, 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 it's, it's, it's a, a good market for flowers. And people don't realize, you know, when they go to the market, when they go to the market or go to the grocery store and get a flower, they just think it just come from heaven somewhere, you know. But uh, that's yeah. flower market, I think, is it's a booming market. It's a needed market. And do you see a trend as that's going to uh, uh, maybe go to some other farmers who are growing food? Uh, yes. I think... I... Go ahead, Brennan. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I, I, I was just saying that um, very few markets have flower growers. You know, I mean, maybe down in Atlanta, but I'm out in Gwinnett County, so I don't get to go to Peach Tree Roads and, you know, with those type farmers grow flowers and grow food and they have flowers there. So being that our market's a little bit smaller out here, it's kind of um, a niche for me to have that as a, uh, as a product to sell or to offer. Customers. You know, I just thought in my mind here, you're getting the Pollinator Award, right? Yes. Yeah pollinators and flowers and all that go together. That, is that the reason you're getting an award because you're growing all those good flowers and, and, and those pollinators are also <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And we have a beekeeper that comes on the property and he uh, he's also a part of um, our success, um, which he has, he comes and he put his beehives here um, mm -hmm. and he comes and maintains them, you know, for the honey and et cetera. So those bees are out there pollinating as well on the no. plants that we're growing. Yeah, and we, um, yeah, so we, we are sticking those flowers. If we had the time, Shirley Sherrod told me it was the most amazing story that she did. Um, she told about uh, this white hippie who came back, who came down to South Georgia and was trying to get black farmers to, um, the, to grow flowers. It was a really interesting story. But um, the Pollinator Award is really, uh, is designed to honor people who, help to, to, to mentor and to spread um, local food. So, um, so, so the flowers are sort of like a, um, uh, a metaphor for that. Mm -hmm. So Gwen and I have been doing, you know, all types of work to help pollinate the local food movement, whether that be working with the younger farmers or, or working with Georgia Organics Mentoring Program or working with Habeshaw Works in their farmer training programs and, and uh, helping some of these um, younger organizations to, to find funding, you know, that's a lot of the work that we want to do and that we want to continue to do, so. So basically what you're telling me, Brenna, uh, a bee is a pollinator and you are a pollinator. Yes. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's, yeah, I don't want to start calling you Brennan Pollinator now, but, but <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is that that's, that's the kind of work we have to do. We have to kind of help each other and to educate each other as much as possible, and especially trying to get younger people into into the farming uh, operation, and and what you are doing with the gangster uh, gangster group. Those <laughs> I met those young people, and that they are very, 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 very impressive. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's uh, all due to the work of Abby Henderson. That was a vision she had, oh God, about five or six years ago, um, to get these at at risk youths. Um, to, to, to find them, you know, a better way and get them introduced for other things. So, um, and you know, one of the guys was out here one day, he was looking, I had one of those totes that you put 275 gallon totes. Uh, and he wanted to know if he, I had one that was damaged. I said, well, if you can move it off of here, you can have it. You know, he never came and got it. 
But I'm telling, telling that story because someone would look at those group of young men and just think all the negatives that you can. But in this case, this young man's family had some land. And by being involved in Abby's program, he now began, he began to see the, um, the possibilities that he can do with his family's land. And he had wanted that told to be able to stay, didn't have any running water or, or wells on the property. So that he was thinking of using that to, um, to, to, to water his crops. Uh, but once again, you know, Gwendolyn and I, as well as a lot of other people and, and throughout Georgia, ha have really been trying to seed this movement with um, um, with people who are going to be passionate about it, and about and with um, younger people, as you say, you know, new and beginning farmers is um, anybody farming under ten years, but you can be sixty five years old and be a new and beginning farmer. So we really need to get our young folks involved. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of movements like that, young and young and beginning farmers, veteran farmers, and Gwendolyn women farmers. You know, people are work, recognizing women farmers. And I know you and Brandon are a partnership, uh, but uh, I give kudos to you for being a, a female, a woman farmer. Uh, Thank you, what, 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 uh, What's your feeling about being a female and a farmer? And I know you you get out there and you get it done, you know. So what's, what's your feeling about that, Gwen? Um, my feeling is, as Brennan mentioned, um, you know, to educate. Um, we have had um, uh, homeschoolers come. I guess they were in strollers and, you know, maybe six. So, you know, when they come, they can see the carrots grow on the ground. You know, Brennan will give them a little sunflower seed, um, you know, just to get them to educate them and, see and pick and smell um, and they're ecstatic so I'd love when people come to be able to see where their food is coming from um, and connecting I, I always say you know to my customers when we do have the in-person markets yeah sure you can come just give me a call um, and come and see you know where your food's coming from you know know your know your farmer basically know your farmer know your food Exactly. <laughs> yes, uh, and I hope some of those young ladies uh, look at what you're doing and be able to uh, appreciate what you're doing. And and you know what y'all been telling me over the period of years and what what I see y'all doing. When are y'all going to write a book about what you're doing? You got so much variety in your farming operation, and and sometimes it make me a little jealous. You know what what <laughs> what, what, what you're going to write a book or what's your legacy uh, after all of this or doing this? You thought about that? I think writing a book would be a great idea. Thank you so much for that suggestion. Um, actually, we will work on that. <laughs> actually, James, my plan was to actually start on a book at the beginning of 2020. And um, because I meet so many, first it was to tell a story of Phoenix Gardens and what sustainability and resiliency means. But because, and, and you know this from experience, once you get out in the weeds and, and get on the highways and byways, there are a lot of people doing really, really good work. Who you, nobody knows that, you know, um, you know, I'm thinking of folks like the Milestone Cooperative down in Mississippi, who's just doing this great work, pretty much unnoticed, pretty much without really strong support. Um, and so my book, I, I don't have a title for it yet, but it's basically going to tell our story but also the story of other farmers and, and other folks who's helping to keep this, um, uh, to keep sustainability alive, to, to keep black farmers 
uh, relevant in this age. So hopefully once COVID's over, I can get started on that. But I'm going to start writing our piece pretty soon. So yeah, I, I, uh, I, I agree with you, Brennan. Uh, like I say, you were you like the uh, uh, what I call it, energizing bunny. But but you get a chance to see so many different things throughout the Southeast. And I get that opportunity, too. And that's one of my joys is to see some things that I've not seen before, see some of the farmers that we meet and make those relationships with them. And likewise, I know you have made relationships across the spectrum, whether you're talking about uh, uh, farmers group, individual farmers, organizations, and, and, and then they're all drawn into your uh, Phoenix Garden. If you if you look at that, it has Phoenix Garden as a as a seed that's been planted and spread throughout the southeast. Yes. Before COVID hit, I sat down one day and said, "I wonder how many farmers uh, between between Gwen and I, how many farmers we actually interact with on an annual basis." And I think I did it for 19. And I sat down and just did back of the envelope calculation. And we had basically in touch, touched about 10,000 farmers, you know, either through speaking at conferences or being at conferences or interacting with folks or visiting farms. Um, with my work with SARE, uh, Southern SARE, uh, our winter meetings are always in Atlanta, but Gwen always makes the summer meetings. And so she gets to see you know, things that you and I see, you know, she, she likes to go because it's the fun, it's the fun part of our meetings where we yeah. get to go on all these different farm tours and stuff. So um, it, it, it's just good. And it's just really nice to be able to help connect, you know, you and I, James, I call us matchmakers, you know, yeah. um, putting people in touch with other people and let them know that they're not alone and that they um they can learn stuff. So, um, and I think it was through you, through you and John Little's uh, Macintosh Seed that I actually went, met um, Calvin Head. Right. And, yeah. and down in Brunswick at that meeting. And um, Calvin and I have developed a really good working relationship and he's been able to get some funding through Southern Sarah and some other places I work with him on. Um, so it's little things like that, you know, it may be just a, a introduction. You were telling a story about you, shopping somewhere and you, you said you didn't remember how you got on the subject, but coming to find out this guy had family land and wanted to pick your brain about what he can do with it. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And and those those kind of conversations cement cement relationships. Um and I think you probably answered it, but I'm gonna ask it in another way. What's next? Uh I mean, what's in the what's in the re look at that crystal ball and what's out there for you and Gwendolyn? Uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, from a legacy standpoint, you know, uh, we talk about uh, heirs, property, we uh, wills and estates and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, what's what's the legacy for Phoenix Farm? Well, we we, we like to have uh, our family members um, eventually take over the property and come into the business. So uh, we both have sons from other marriages. Um, you know, my son's a welder, Gwendolyn's uh, son works here with us. And the idea is to keep this going in some shape or form and to pull them in. Uh, but also to be a, um, to continue to be an educational, um, uh, a, a beacon for education for, for, for all types of farmers, you know. Um, we're trying to build everything up here to do, um, to, to do more educational programming. Um, Gwen's a social butterfly at this outfit, so 
Well, I, I'll let you talk. You've got an event coming here this uh, tomorrow, right? Tomorrow. Yeah, I have yeah. my garden club coming tomorrow. So we're going to be, I'm going to be um, doing a presentation on um, the uh, tower gardens and um, and we'll see how the progress goes um, as time goes by. So um, it'll be about maybe 10 to 12, maybe 15 women, mm -hmm. you know, that'll come and then we'll sit in the garden and um you know, do that presentation for a couple hours. So um, that's basically, you know, kind of what we do is mm -hmm. kind of educate and, um, you know, just to, to keep people um, aware of, you know, where the food is and where it's coming from, things like that. Yeah. Well, I would like our legacy games to be known as we were an organization who just didn't think about ourselves, that mm -hmm. we were truly there to help people, so. Mm -hmm. You know, while we're in this conversation and uh, we, you know, we're talking about food uh, uh, and uh, running, you mentioned the garden club. Uh, you know, I've been around a while. I've been in several states and whatnot. And in my uh, early years, uh, when we had to make a presentation to a garden club, uh, primarily it was uh, uh, Caucasian women. And uh, while I'm thinking here, I would like to, I said, like to see uh, more. Uh, Black women get involved in garden clubs. It's a it's an entity that probably they're not aware of. So garden clubs can venture in from the garden clubs, looking at the flower part of the garden clubs, to food production garden clubs. So that's something that uh, may be your legacy, Gwen, is to try to promote. Uh, I don't I don't like to stereotype, but try to get more minority women into garden clubs, get them into things that, and our fourth parents, they were, they were automatically garden clubs because they had to, to produce the food and fiber. So that's something I think will be um, uh, something that we all kind of, kind of take a look at. It's I funny you say it. that, James. I will claim it. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Gwen was, I think, the first black woman to join her garden club but not only that, and this is how, why I'm glad we're getting this award because people hear about the work that Gwen does. Mm -hmm. Not only was she the first uh, black woman to, 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 I think, become involved with that garden club, she became president. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. I did. Okay. Yeah. I, was, I became president but, but of the garden years, club. years, a year? How, how long did you serve, Gwen? Um, since about 2000, 2000, about 2010, I want to say. Okay. Yeah, it's been a yeah, it's been about it's been about eight or ten years, I would say. Well, uh, it's been it's been a pleasure doing this interview, and a more of a pleasure meeting y'all and interacting with y'all. And I know we're gonna have uh, more interaction. I know we are, Brennan, because we we uh we find these nuggets throughout the southeast, and we try to help people. Help themselves, if that's that's the word. And I appreciate what you've done, uh, Brennan, and uh, you and Gwendolyn. Uh, pleasure to meet y'all. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to close with uh, <clears throat> one of my themes: uh, uh, the spider web. The spider web. If you look at a spider web, uh, normally a spider web will put a, another notch in the spider web, and when he put that another notch in the spider web, that connect all of us together. And so you, your, your uh, Phoenix Garden can look at it as spider web, and that spider web continue to expand. And again, congratulations. And uh, Brennan, uh, I know you said that uh, you know you you think you are uh, you are the man, but uh, I know Gwendolyn is the is the. Uh,
its operation too. Yeah, and that's the beauty of this uh, uh, award for, for me, James. A lot of people know who I am and, and what I do and stuff like that. But um, what a lot of people don't know or may not know is I couldn't do any of that work if it wasn't for my wife. You know, there, there's been a couple of times I wanted to call off trips and she said, no, you go ahead. I can hold the farm down while you go. And, and, and um, she was supposed to be traveling with me, but she said, I got to stay here and take care of the farm. So, so this is a, a great public way of me saying thank you, first of all, to my wife for the support she's given me through the years, but also to let people know that she's been a, a critical part of the success that we've had. And, and I'm going to close it out. I didn't make an introduction before I started. Uh, I'm James Ford. I'm with Square Consultant LLC. Been working in the science, my wife and I. And again, we appreciate uh, working with you and uh, Gwendolyn. And uh, again, congratulations for your award. And I would just say, <laughs> carry on. Thank you, James. James. Thank you very much. I, you know I'll be talking to you soon. So. Okay. Okay, then. Take care. Okay. Uh -huh. Next, we feature Land Steward Award winners Chris and Jenny Jackson of Jenny Jack Farm in Pine Mountain. Catherine Kennedy, Executive Director of Concrete Jungle and former apprentice at Jenny Jack, interviews the Jacksons about their 15-year farming career, lessons learned, and why they continue farming. You'll even hear cameos from their very special guest, Amos and Tulsi, as they explain how to grow a farm while raising children and finding balance in their life. Um, all right, it says we're officially recording now. Um, Yay! Hey, Georgia Organics listeners, this is Katherine Kennedy from Concrete Jungle. I have probably one of the privileges of my life to interview Chris and Jenny Jackson, the 2021 uh, winners of the Land Steward Award, which is awarded to these people that I'm going to tell you about right now. Um, <laughs> farmers, agricultural professionals, or researchers with commitments to organic agriculture, uh, including soil fertility, biodiversity, on-farm recycling, and water quality. Uh, the Land Steward Award winners not only foster a better environment through the soul, but through their community, through their larger community, through leadership, education, and outreach which I honestly can't think of a better way to describe Chris and Jenny are more appropriate people to win this award. Um, I wish everyone listening right now could see what's happening with Chris and Jenny. There are multiple babies, or I guess a toddler and a baby and Chris and Jenny in their beautiful home. Um, it's pretty much really cute. And if we could, we'd just watch Tulsi eat her dad's thumb for the rest of the ceremony. <laughs> But I know y'all want to hear from Chris and Jenny, and I'm really, really honored to interview them. Uh, so I want to start out by talking about this award. I remember people watching people get the Land Steward Award at the Georgia Organics Conference over the past, what, 10, 11 years, and thinking that these people were like the godmothers and godfathers of organic farming. And now here y'all are getting this award, uh, how do you feel about it? <laughs> yeah, I'm deserving really. <laughs> Considering, yeah, like what you just said, that's that's how we've looked at the award winners in the past, people that we really looked up to, people that we've learned so much from, that we've been inspired by. So to be included in this group is, um, 
it doesn't quite feel right, but it is a huge honor and uh, we're, we're so happy to be included. Oh. Yeah, uh, you are, I know you don't feel this way, but you are deserving of this award. It also means you're old, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, I mean, you've been farming for 15 years, right? Um, yep. And you've scaled your operations in such tremendous ways and you've improved the land on which you're growing and you've improved the community and influenced so many other young farmers and also eaters. Um, but I want to kind of go back to the beginning and I'm curious if y'all remember like the poundage you grew the first year or how much money you made in your first year of farming. Do you remember, uh, any of the details about your yield that first year? I don't remember the poundage. Um, I, I think we made, um, that first year farming full-time, I think we made around $80,000. That's great. Yeah. We felt Y'all really good about good. it. I yeah. thought you were going to say you made like $5,000. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, yeah, we felt really good about it. And we was, and it was just the two of us. And I think we, we might've hired a few part-time folks here and there, but it was mainly just Jenny and I, and we sold, we sold food in Atlanta. So we were going back and forth to Atlanta a couple of times a week. At a, selling at a farmer's market. And then we had, a, we partnered with Joe Reynolds and we had a, a CSA drop at a couple of churches. So yeah, we had, we had, we had places to, we had people to buy the food, places to sell the food. We were, we were doing okay. We were working too long, too many hours, but that's probably what all farmers do at the beginning of their oh, yeah. career. Uh, do you remember the biggest lesson you learned that first year farming? Oh, um, The biggest lesson, I, well, the next year we hired, that. the next year is when we started our apprenticeship program and where we, where we started. And, and for the next 10 years, we would have two apprentices work with us each year. Um, so maybe the biggest lesson was that we're, yeah, that we, 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 we ended up working to like nine or 10 o'clock at night, which is not unusual, I guess, for starting out, but it's also not very sustainable. And so I, probably the biggest lesson we learned is we have to have help. Um, and I think another lesson we learned was that our food, that we, the food that we were growing was valuable and that people wanted to eat it. And so that made us feel really good that we could, you know, we knew we could market it well and that we could sell it and we could, we, we could make a living. I guess, yeah, that first year taught us that we could make a, living, a viable living doing it. Um, so that made us feel good. And then we also knew that we needed to hire employees. And we chose the apprenticeship labor model to start out with, but yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. And it's amazing, you know, <laughs> you came in at the right time when I think it was the local food movement was just growing and it really, yeah, y'all jumped in and made an amazing name for yourself. What were you gonna say, yeah. Chris? I was gonna say, that's how we met you. Yeah. Yeah, because a few a few years later, after I guess I don't I can't remember maybe six or seven years later after we started, you you applied for our apprenticeship program. Yes, and, and we, uh, we we hired you on the spot. I mean, you were <laughs> you were from you were coming from New York City, so we thought we had really landed a you know a you real realize you just landed a real, another Georgia a real nice dog. farmer. Yeah. <laughs> um. 
Well, I do, I do want to talk about the apprenticeship program and I want to talk about uh, my, the people you've influenced. So let's just talk about it now. I, um, you know, as I mentioned, a big part of the Land Steward Award is your influence on other farmers. And, you know, I credit y'all with teaching me everything I know about farming and more. I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I truly wouldn't be where I am today um, with Concrete Jungle or running the farms that I've run in the past if it wasn't for for the two of you. And I know that there are a lot of people that you've influenced over the past 15 years. Um, But I want to talk about the farmers that influenced y'all. Can you share a little bit about who taught y'all what you know about farming and what was it like? How did you learn how to farm? Well, um, I, I guess early on, we, we, we apprenticed for a year under the Glovers, Skip and Cookie Glover in Douglasville, who, who, are, are, who are well known for, for allowing, um, you know, young people to, to, to get a start on their farm, and they're still doing it today. So that they were very influential in us, you know, in, the, in, in, our, in our first experience of, of, of getting hands-on farm experience. Um, and also just giving us connections and kind of setting us up for, for success market-wise in Atlanta. They were very influential. Um, and they're the ones that introduced us to oh. George Organics, um, encouraged us to attend the SOG conferences, um, Slow Food, introduced us to that organization and, and helped us um, go to that conference. So yeah, lots of connections that really helped spur us into the, the food movement and, in this region. And we're, for, we're first, gener- first generation, um, sorry, Amos is talking. Uh, we're what do you first have generation- to say, Amos? <laughs> um, we're first generation farmers, so we didn't, uh, neither one of us really grew up watching our family, you know, use tractor implements and use certain tools. And, you know, we, don't, we, don't, we didn't have a whole lot of insight on, on the practice and art of farming. And so we re- depended on um, some of the old timers in our area um, to kind of give us, you know, you know, like how to fix a, how to fix the tractor when it's broken or what to look for when it's not starting. Or um, I don't even, I don't think I like knew what, knew how to use a disc arrow when, I, when we first started or, you know, how to, what, what it was supposed to do or how many times I was supposed to go over the field or how fast I was supposed to go. And there was a there's a guy that used to live here that you know Perry Williams who um, would come by every every day and just watch us and then criticize us you know <laughs> quite frequently in so, a loving way in a, in a loving way so we yeah we we figured out yeah that, I mean I would I would I would say that he was definitely an influential you know in our he thought we were silly and crazy growing food organically and he laughed at that but he. Uh, he was helpful with like the tool stuff and the tractor stuff and the, um, that kind of thing. I think my favorite Perry moment, and for those of you who never had the privilege of knowing Perry Williams, he uh, drove a gold Oldsmobile, is that right? Yeah, a really a, long gold Oldsmobile, real slow through the fields. Yeah, he'd drive it right up to the field where you were doing whatever you were doing. And then he wouldn't get out of the car a lot of times. He'd just roll down the window. And he's he, air conditioning going. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember one time we were like weeding the carrots and he came up and he was like, 
he rolled down the window and he said, even the crows have to get on their knees to see those carrots. And <laughs> it was funny. It was like a, it was a very poignant way of commenting on how small the carrots were, which obviously was because you weren't using triple 13. Uh, <laughs> but he, uh, he always had a little bit of truth in what he was trying to say. And so I think part of what is so compelling about y'all's story and about your farm now is that you've built such an amazing community in Pine Mountain. Um, and, you know, you're beloved in Pine Mountain. People stop by the, uh, the on-farm market every Wednesday, right? Yep. Uh, every Wednesday and, you know, buy whatever you have. Now you've turned Tulsi out and she's there selling things just because she's so cute. Yeah. They can't, can't say no say, to anything that Tulsi can't asks. Can't say no to a four-year-old with, with uh, yeah, with a smile and a question, yeah. <laughs> um, but can you, can you talk a little bit more about the Pine Mountain community that has helped to shape your farm? I guess from the, um, the you know, other fellow growers, but also the, uh, eaters perspective? Oh yeah. Um, well, typically in a non-COVID COVID years, we would have the market. It's, it's a physical market where folks just come up and, you know, we have a few tables set up with what we have, what, what we, what we have for sale. And then also we have a few other items from, from a different farms that are for sale too. Um, yeah. And so it's, 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 we've been doing that now for I guess we've been farming for 15 years. So we've had an on-farm market for maybe 12 of those years. Uh, and, and it's slowly built up quite a following. Um, you know, we live in Pine Mountain, which is about a thousand folks in this in, in town. Our county might have like 15 or 20,000 folks. So it's a pretty small area, but people will drive from, you know, 20, 30 minutes um, to come and, and shop. And, um, you know, they're, Usually, when 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 the when our customers come, they always know they run into other customers who they know a lot of times, and so there's a lot of you know chit chat and talk. And we one of our good good friends, Shannon, she runs the market and she's a chef, so the customers really like talking to her about how to cook the food and you know how to cook what we're growing. Um, yeah, and so there's just a lot of um, you know talking and chatting and people walk around the farm and. Um, our, 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 our employees are, you know, kind of come passing through. And so there's just a lot of, um, you know, celebration and, and vibrancy and talking and chatting and yeah, it's just a good, usually like a, a bright, encouraging, mo you know, morning where lots, lots is going, lots is going on and people can really get, a, get a, they really feel connected because they're at our farm. The fields are just beyond the, the, um, the shop where we sell our food. Um, so yeah, I think it's pretty impactful for people to, to shop there. Unfortunately, now we've, we we're it's all pre-order online and people just drive through. So it's, you know, not as, uh, bucolic and, you know, it's not as connect, you know, connective, but we'll, I guess we'll get back there eventually. Yeah. Well, and y'all, um, y'all, also have really embraced sort of the, the other people who have other skills to share, you know, you've let folks sell bread or jams or pickles. And I think you've been really big on the bartering system, which has seemed to really help build community. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. We, we want people that come out to shop to not just have, to, you know, vegetables to choose from. So 
yeah, we have like different oils and lotions and eggs and meat and yeah, herbs and flowers and yeah, there's a lot of a lot of variety. Um, yeah, and we 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 do we we barter when it's when yeah whenever it's possible. We we've bartered for yoga for years, so we we go to a yoga class once or twice a week, and um, the yoga teacher takes food in in exchange. Um, I can't remember. I don't know other other. I can't recall other bartering that we do, but we bought some chickens through bartering a few times. You know, can't remember what else. But. So Chris and I were talking about the Pine Mountain community that has uh, supported y'all through the markets and through purchasing food. Um, are there folks in the Pine Mountain community that have influenced the the way that you grow food or your farming practices? Hmm. Where's you? Have the folks in the Pine Mountain community influence or how have they influenced the way we grow food? Or well, yeah, they buy it. They, they buy food. <laughs> so we, keep grow, we keep growing it. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say that they've influenced the way we grow food because we're going to grow organically, I guess, regardless of where we are. Um, so I wouldn't say that, yeah, because we know them and have a connection to them, it, um, you know, it keeps us accountable, really, because we, we just feel compelled to grow organically for all the reasons one, you know, avoids chemicals. Right. Well, and I, that's something I wanted to talk about was um, your farming philosophy and why you make the choices you do to, you know, to avoid chemicals and to, you know, maintain the soil and Obviously, it's really hard to distill that into, you know, a sound bite. But if you were to say, you know, what are the guiding principles that guide the choices you make with what you grow and how you grow it? Yeah, we um, well, we want to we want to grow um, the most nutrient dense food possible. Um, and I think that is achieved through organic farming through um, composting, amending with only naturally mined materials, um, replenishing the soil with cover crops. I think all of that contributes to, to growing the most nutrient dense produce possible. Um, we don't want to expose ourselves or our workers or the people that are eating our food to anything that could be harmful. So any chemical fertilizers or pesticides, um, you know, we're trying to, we, we do avoid for that reason. Um, but also just the long-term care of our little ecosystem that we're managing here, you know, we, we don't want to degrade the soil. We don't want to, um, you know, hurt the beneficial insects. We want things to thrive as much as possible. Yeah, and what was the land before y'all started farming on it? It was just pasture. My dad had uh, a small herd of cattle for years and he grazed them on that pasture. 
Um, so we had a pretty good start soil wise because it wasn't grazed rotationally, but at least it was uh, not a ton of cows on it. And so they had added, you know, some organic matter over the years. Um, and then we ended up taking a small corner of my dad's hay field. He grows a little bit of hay. And so we took some of that pasture as we expanded a bit. Yeah. And I mean, y'all's farm has grown tremendously over the years in terms of space, but also in terms of the ways that you're growing smarter now and also the infrastructure on the farm. I mean, I think when I was out there, I don't even know if there was a hoop house. There was a greenhouse. Um, so, you know, what are sort of the, what are the farm innovations that you've made over the years that have really impacted your ability to grow more food or grow better? We've added tunnels, like you were saying. So we have about a third of an acre underneath underneath plastic now. Um, and they, they, they range in size. We have several 30 by 96s and we have some smaller ones too. Um, and Nicholas Donk at Crystal Organics and Celia at Woodland Gardens, that, they were both inspirations for adding more tunnels. Um, you know, when we would see Nicholas at uh, conferences and stuff, he would, he would, you know, he just flat out encourages growers, get, get more tunnels if you can. Um, and seeing the, the amount of food that Celia is producing and the quality of food in her tunnels was, um, that was an inspiration to, to get more tunnels here. We've also got new, I mean, we've, we've bought some new tools, like some of the later, newer technology and small farming, um, the, the greens harvester has really helped us har harvest arugula and microgreens a lot faster. Um, we um, air conditioning in your tractor. We have really cold air conditioning and heat in our tractor <laughs> and satellite radio and satellite radio and a little misting system that inside as well. <laughs> um, what else that's do we a, do? That's a joke. For all just those listening. Joke. Yep. Just <laughs> No cab on the tractor. Um, paper pot transplant. Oh, the paper pot. I forgot about the paper pot. People have a love-hate relationship. You know, farmers have a love-hate relationship with the paper pot. But we have re we've really enjoyed it. I mean, so some days it doesn't work that good, but we can plant transplant so fast with that thing. Um, and we have, like we were talking about bartering earlier. A CSA member in Auburn gave us the money for that. And we have paid her back via CSA shares over the past few years. Because that that transplant is real expensive, but um, yeah, we plant onion, uh, green onions, spinach, and beets and hockey rod turnips with that, and one person can plant, you know, what what would would take, one person can plant in an hour what would take maybe two or three of us three hours to do. So that's been that's been nice. That's amazing. Yeah. And thinking about all of the innovations and all the food you've grown and all the experiences you've had over the past 15 years. Uh, is there anything that stands out to you that you're most proud of on your farm? Um, I'm proud we're still doing it. <laughs> we, we do have conversation every year about maybe doing something else and we just keep coming back. <laughs> 
we didn't have that conversation last year, so that's a good sign. Yeah, we got yeah, we added two kids too. So that's, that's, why do you keep coming back? We're unemployable. <laughs> if you guys could see these beautiful people and their beautiful offspring, you know that's not true. But uh, yeah, why do you keep coming back? I think for me, maybe I think it's just the um, the autonomy of that farming allows. I mean, just not having to really answer anybody, kind of making our own decisions and schedules and being able to, you know, just sort of dictate our life course. I really like that about farming. I mean, I, I guess you could say that nature or weather is the per, the one in charge. But aside from that, you know, there's just no boss that we have to answer to who has to answer to another boss who has to answer to the boss so I really like that kind of freedom but um and I'm really proud of the the employ like the the labor employee structure that we've that we've got thus right now um that we just get so much done we have one full-time person and six part-time people and um that has gone well so far and yeah we're, we're growing so much more food and in roughly the same amount of space i think that is attributed to having more more labor and, and really high quality labor and um why did y'all make that choice that to hire people to do one full-time person and six part-time people well um we have found that part-time well we have we have found Generally, most most people don't don't really want to farm. I don't, <laughs> you know, I think maybe starting out you think you do, but really you don't want to. And so, part time allows people to to kind to, to kind of farm. You know, like 25, 20, 30 hours a week, which is or like yeah, 20, 30 hours a week, which is which is really doable for a lot of people. 40, 45 hours a week is not doable for most people. So um, we feel like we get like a happy productive staff when they're working 20-ish, 25-ish hours a week. Um, and it just takes like a certain kind of person that wants to do it every week for 40 plus hours. Um, and so, yeah, part-time, we, we feel like we just get more done and we keep a happier staff if, 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 if you're not working full-time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the, the trick of farming, right? It's incredibly, incredibly rewarding work, but it's also but, incredibly, incredibly yeah. difficult. Yeah. And you should feel proud of farming for 15 years. I think it's really hard to go out there and use your body and to do work every single day of your life. Yeah. And you never can turn it off. You know, it's all because you live on the property. It's always there. You're always looking at the things that you should have done or you didn't yes. get to in the day. And I think that's, that is incredibly hard. Yeah. Yeah. And now with two kids, we're, you know, where we were, would always kind of push ourselves to work maybe till seven or eight or, or later. Now we, we really turn it off for, mo for the most part around five or six. So that's been good for us. And then also having more people on the farm. I mean, we're just, yeah, we're getting so much done that we're, you know, kind of finished for the day at five, you know, so that's. That's amazing. That's definitely something to aspire to. Definitely. Um, yeah. On a more personal note, uh, we're going to talk about religion and <laughs> politics. Huh? Uh, in, addition, <laughs> in addition to teaching me everything I know about farming, I would also like to say that I think 
you and Jenny's relationship ruined my relationship at the time that I was on the farm. You broke because up. Because you yeah. guys, <laughs> you guys are so good together. You work together all day long. You solve problems all day long. And then you live together and you're married. Um, and it's not for everyone. That's not how everybody can do a relationship. But uh, I'm curious what you... Th- how do you think y'all make it work? What's the magic sauce of making a, uh, like a love partnership also work with a farming partnership? Well, I'm going to be publishing the secret to that in my new book coming out. This fall. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we stay in our lane pretty well, you know, like I, I have things on the farm that, that I do and, and Jenny doesn't. And then there's things on the farm that Jenny does that I don't do. And we, I think we do a pretty good job of not encroaching on that space. You know, um, I think that is helpful. Uh, what else, Jenny? Yeah. I mean, just trying to maintain a mutual respect for each other's decisions too. Um, it's just all happened so naturally because we were, we had only been married for a few years when we started farming. So we, we learned together. It just, it, we grew as a couple and as a farm together. Mm -hmm. So we, neither of us were set in, in a way of doing something of running a business or running a crew or running a farm. Uh, So we were just learning together. Yeah. That's a good point. We we got married when we were 23. So we were babies. And then the farm happened and we both wanted to do, we both wanted to get this farm to be our full-time job. So the whole thing has unraveled with us, you know, making decisions and working things out together. So we, there's no the other practice. way to do it. Yeah. We've had a lot of practice. Yeah. If we didn't do it together, the thing was not going to keep going. So. Yeah. Yeah. Having each other has been really, has been just, yeah, critical in, in our farm lasting this long I can't imagine farming by myself you know by myself yeah I think about that all the time there's no way that I would I would try to learn and do all the things that I know some farmers have to do out of necessity you know Mm -hmm. they gotta they have to be everything um but like Chris does the irrigation the accounting the tractor work um you know, I couldn't possibly imagine doing my roles plus those things. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you like lot. to make sure is covered besides <laughs> religion and politics? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think like you, this is an amazing platform because I, you know, as I've tried to express and I feel there's words can't adequately express how much the two of you have influenced my life professionally and personally. And I know that I'm one of a multitude of people who have really built a career on the things that you have taught me. And um, it's, you have so much to give and that this word award is so fitting for the two of you because you've given so, so much to Pine Mountain and the agricultural community and the state of Georgia. Um, but you know, there's always, there's always more I want to know and want to say. And also, I don't know um, 
when you think about this award, is there anything you want to say about about the award or about agriculture or yeah, anything you just need to get off your chest, Chris? I know you have a lot of things you always need to get off your chest. Well, that's kind of you to say, uh, uh, Catherine. And we we yeah, we feel the same way. I mean, uh, the yeah, I mean yeah, some of our closest friends now are past apprentices, so it has been like a, a great joy in our life to have people like yourself come and work on our farm and, you know, bring your personality and your characteristics and your, um, you know, view of the world to our farm and then share it. And, and then, you know, it's just, um, it's, we, we've changed a lot and grown a lot and been pushed and um, kind of stretched by having by employing apprentices and, you know, usually they're young folks that have, you know, tr are well-traveled and are, we, we, we are, we, we, we consider ourselves kind of, we, we stay in this little bubble here in Pine Mountain and to have people come like yourself from wherever and, you know, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been educational and enjoyable and, and, and brought a lot of joy to, to farming. So, yeah, what else you were going to say? Yeah, like, of course, especially you, Catherine, ha having your big, fun personality here, one of those first years, it, it helped keep things light, you know, having fun together. Um, it, can, it can just be so hard, especially starting out, like all the obstacles and challenges of farming. So having young people... Um, their enthusiasm and um, just to make it to make it more fun the friendship and the bonds that we developed with the apprentices that was something that spurred us on really yeah and we get upset with one another and we also have great times together so we you know inevitably we become better humans through through that exchange I think so yeah, yeah. Uh, it's definitely it's definitely, an, you know, it's a full body experience, uh -huh. you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. Yeah, good. that's a good way to put it. Um, is there anything else I haven't asked that we need to talk about that the world needs to know about y'all? Any big <laughs> announcements? You're running for mayors of Pine Mountain? Or Oh, yeah, one day. Anything else you want to share or you want to wax poetic about farming? <laughs> I will say Chris used to write a very amazing newsletter. I think it was always Chris who would write a newsletter and it was, uh, it was Wendell Berry-esque in its poetry <laughs> and in its um, just like very beautiful snapshots, verbal snapshots of what uh, pastoral life was like. And it did make farming seem very, I mean, your farm is very, very appealing, but it, you did a really good job of capturing it and the, the hard stuff and the good stuff about it. Um, but anyways, this is your yeah, chance. And we still write the newsletter. It's, it's not, I don't spend as much time with, with it as I used to, it, I, even though I do think it's really important. I, I think we were talking about earlier about our on-farm market being a place where we connected with our customers, but that newsletter, I think is also a really good, you know, has been a really, um, a positive way to connect with our customers because we have, yeah, a lot of people that read it and, and um, 
you know, are eating our food and then also reading about our, our experiences from day to day working on our farm and then also coming to the farm physically and buying food and seeing it. So yeah, it's like a, like you were just saying, it's, it's kind of a full, the newsletter is part of that full body experience for our, for our customers. And, um, I wish I gave it more time now, but with two, two young children, it's, it's hard to offer that newsletter as much time as it deserves, but I think we'll get, I'll get back to it soon. Yeah. Well, I think Mary Elizabeth is going to have more than enough content for her, uh, for her, for the Atlanta Foodcast. Georgia you think Foodcast. so? Uh, I think, hope we weren't too boring for, for the No, for the you're not too boring. Let's do an official, let's do an official goodbye and then we can actually keep talking and I'll keep recording <laughs> and maybe you'll share Off some of your secrets. But um, <laughs> it's been an honor to interview Chris and Jenny Jackson. It's an honor to know the 2021 winners of the Land Steward Award and there are no two more deserving than Chris and Jenny Jackson. And I thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat with me. Uh, thanks so much, Catherine. Yeah, Catherine, it's an honor to, to have you be part of our family. One of the first people that helped get this farm up off the ground and look at where you are now. You're running Concrete Jungle and we love to watch that grow from afar. It's so impressive how many people you're feeding and all the good work that you're doing up there. So yeah, we're still honored to be connected to you and it was fun to have you interview us for this awesome well, thank you all right now we can keep talking about things that maybe mary elizabeth will want or not want did you did i was that, was that do you think that? covid's real <laughs> <laughs> uh we can i will stop recording when we talk about that um is that, I don't, I feel like I, I kind of went all over the place with that. Was that everything you wanted to say? This is your chance, guys. This is your platform. Do we say cover everything? Yeah, because it's hard to know um, who's listening, because I guess you don't want to get too technical with farming stuff. Like, who yeah. cares how, what, what, what we, what we, uh, what, what varieties of carrots we grow, right? <laughs> I don't know, though. Like, I think some people really do care. And I think even people who aren't growing like hearing that stuff, but. I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah. Like how much money, how much money we make? People well, love that. I, I mean, I didn't think you were going to have made that much money in your first year. So I didn't ask you how much money you made last year. Cause I was afraid you were going to say it was like $2 million. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I always make the joke about, um, you know, about, uh, to our employees, like I'll say, um, what do I say? Oh, <laughs> they don't pay me the, they don't pay me $16,000 a year for nothing. <laughs> I say that a lot. That's one of my dad jokes, I guess. Cause 16,000 no, is not a lot of money, you know. It's, it's not a lot of money. I think it's not a dad joke. I mean, it was just a funny joke. People love it. I, we should, we would make news. Maybe I should, maybe I should, you should record us saying that we make like $300,000 an acre. People would love that. <laughs> Was that true? No, but oh, <laughs> it's news. Um, 
I I was thinking about like intern anecdotes. I didn't want to like talk about the internship the whole time because that's just one facet of your farming. Right. But I will right. always remember when you got the, I feel like the only time you got mad at me, Chris, it was like, I was, I needed to like, I wanted to go on vacation or something and I didn't give you enough heads up. Uh, I think that was, is that right? Do you remember this? I don't actually remember. And you I were remember just, getting mad. I got mad at least once at everybody and I can remember some of them, but I can't remember yours. Oh, well, and it was just like, uh, I think I just like truly didn't, I don't think I realized that y'all like relied on your apprentices as much. Like, I think I just thought I was like a ding dong that was helping sometimes. And then when you were like, (laughs) (laughs) is this still recording? It is still recording. Okay. Uh, And then when you were really upset, I was like, oh, I'm actually like doing something out here. This is like, they need me. Um, So you you responded well. You 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 responded well when I got upset with you? I think so. I mean, I think I was confused because I was like, wait, what? And then, uh, but I don't know. I don't, I don't think I started, I don't think I started crying. Did I? Somebody, I think I got upset with somebody and they started crying. I just can't remember who it was. I don't know. I mean, it's never, it's never, I don't, you you don't remember me like getting really, really mad, like lashing out verbally. It wasn't a verbal, it wasn't verbal. You, that, I think that was what was so surprising is you're never mad. You're always like laughing and joking around. And so it was just like, wait, what? I All of a sudden we're having like a serious conversation. I think you're mad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of those unhealthy people that hold it in. And then it just, and then it just comes out. <laughs> it comes out on your apprentices <laughs> yeah. once a year, but it's just once a year. So that's okay. It really is about once, once a year. Everybody gets at least once. Yeah, but maybe now that you don't have apprentices, you don't get mad because you're just like, whatever, I only see you 20 hours a week. (laughs) No, he still does. And maybe we should have also said that on that, I was thinking about that and I had to walk away with Amos on the part, how our part-time employee situation has evolved is just mostly that's the hours that people wanted. You know, we didn't, we we don't advertise. We're looking for part-time help. Um, It's just, that's what has come to us and it seems to be what works out best for people's morale um yeah I mean I think Chris said something kind of along those lines and we you know we sort of acknowledge like farming is just really really hard mm-hmm. you know it's so physically demanding I don't know I kind of I like that you said that because I think it is people being people don't have realistic expectations about what they're signing up for when they start farming, either mm-hmm. like as an employee or an apprentice or just starting farming. So, yeah, which is fair if you've not done it before, you know, you don't really know all you, if all you know is like the documentary you watched and the Michael Pollan book you read and, you know, and some Wendell Berry poetry, you, you might think it's a little bit, uh, you know, fuzzier feeling than it, than it ends up being, but yeah. And I think, you know, year, I think farming it, is perfect. Huh? Well, I said farming is like near nearly perfect this time of year. It's it's when it's when summer hits, you know. Oh, you mean just like the the climate for farming right now? Yeah. Or the chores you're doing are not yeah. so bad. Oh, I think climate has a big to me in my opinion it has like a big it's a big factor because it's because farming from June to September it just like the farm work is one job and then just being in the sun is another job. It's it's like you're working two full-time jobs 
as a farmer because that yeah. sun is just so brutal and you don't even escape it for lunch. I mean, it's just like, you just live it. You're just living in it for eight hours. And it may be a little easier for Jenny and I because we own the business. I also think that that's, there's, there's some, you know, there's some of that. Like if you're just, you know, you're working for us, it's not your business. You're out here in this 99 degree heat. You're, you know, you're picking okra for the third time this week in the, you know, for two past two months. Yeah. At and some you, point you might, you might break. <laughs> <laughs> How many people do you feel like y'all have broken? Everyone. <laughs> don't, don't you, do you feel, do you not feel like you broke, you broke? I, I don't, I also, rem yeah, I do remember several people breaking down, like just, you know, just needing to break down and maybe cry or say, I can't do this right now, or I need to go home. There's been a few of those folks. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I don't think, I'm not sure if you did or not. She didn't do it. No, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, I broke down, but it was like, it was about Drew. It wasn't about y'all. I think it, and I think that's the nature of employing somebody who's like in their mid twenties. It's like, they're dealing with their own life and personal stuff and like figuring out who they are as a human sure. and then add yeah. this like incredibly physically demanding job onto it. And it's, yeah. uh, it just is a lot. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. think it's, it's hard to remember that when you're not in it, like that, that just is a very hard time in life. Yeah. Where you yeah, just yeah that's, so a, much. that's a really good point about bringing. Yeah. I mean, you, people bring all their stuff to work, you know, and some people, do, some people kind of, you know, you know, deal with it a little better or maybe can compartmentalize it a little better, but yeah. With, with employees, that's one of the challenges is that I, th I feel like we have to have a good bit of empathy because, you know, like everybody's dealing with something and some people are dealing with a lot of stuff and you just don't even know about it as a farm owner. And, you know, after working six hours here in the sun and you're having all these maybe money problems at home or relationship problems or something, you yeah. know, you could, I could see where you could, you would get upset and break. Or if I, if I redirected you for the third time that day, you, you, I could see where someone would, you know, get pissed off and, you know, yell at me or something. That yeah. doesn't usually happen, but I could, yeah, it's, it's just another little, you know, variable of, of managing people that's been kind of interesting as we've, as we've gone, you know, as we've been through the years. Well, and you just never think that's what you're, you know, you're like, I just need somebody to do, to pick okra. Yeah. Think about yeah. like, I'm employing a person that's going to come with all their other crap too. Jenny's got a thought. Well, that a better comparison of where we were and where we are now, you know, Chris threw that number out that we made the first year. But I think a, a better way to look at it is we started off with, I think it was like an 80 member CSA, sharing that with um, Love is Love Farm. Joe and Judith, yeah. Yeah, so we started off sharing a CSA with Joe and Judith, doing about half and half, and now we're up to almost 200 members here doing that on our own. I think that's a better way to look at our growth than what we grossed that first year. Yeah, wow, 200 members. That's amazing. Yeah, we were at 115, 120 for a long time. And then we started using Harvey, this online platform. And it's really helped us to grow our numbers. I mean, along with just becoming more efficient and hiring more people, um, 
I really attribute this last bump in growth to using Harvey. It's helped a lot. That's awesome. That's, I mean, 200 families are relying on y'all for food every single week. That's uh, a big responsibility, but that's a huge vote of confidence. Yeah, it feels good. Um, it, it's really fulfilling to be able to meet the demand because there's not many CSA farms in this area. So yeah. to, um, I feel like we used to have to turn away more people now that we've been able to grow it. We still have had to turn away a few people, but not as many. That's amazing. Thank you again for joining this special annual awards edition of Georgia Organics Atlanta Foodcast. Once again, we hope you join us online for a get together as we raise a glass to these winners on Thursday, May 27th via Zoom. You'll even have a chance to meet and talk with these winners a little bit. This event is free for Georgia Organics members. To learn more and register, visit georgiaorganics.org awards. Thanks again for joining us on this week's show.